Got a double bumper video, too, almost. Hey, good morning, everybody. Hello, and how are you guys doing, Trinity Church? Doing well today? Hey, I just had an awesome time worshiping with you guys, and I'm so grateful to be here with you today. Thank you, Todd, for having me out. My name is Ricky Hemi, and I serve as family pastor at a church in Lancaster, California, called Central Christian. And it's such an honor to be with you guys today, speaking on week seven of your series, Rooted and Reaching. Will you guys join me as we begin in a word of prayer? Jesus, I'm so grateful for this body this morning, for this church, and their passion for you, their excitement for you. I pray, God, that we would be reminded today that you so loved the world that you gave us your son. I pray, God, that we would not hoard that message. I pray that if we've been transformed by that message, that we would never forget where we came from. Empower us to be bold gospel proclaimers this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So 10 years ago, I signed up for a class on Ephesians at a cool little college called Eternity Bible College. And during this time of my life, I had only been a Christian for about two years, but I was absolutely on fire for Jesus, and I just wanted to get his message out to everybody that I knew. I didn't know the ins and outs of theology. My doctrine may have been a little off at times because I was new, but one thing I knew really well, and that was the gospel. I knew that Jesus offered amazing grace. I knew that Jesus offered broken sinners a new life and an eternal hope. I knew that we were created beings who needed a relationship with our creator. And so armed with that limited knowledge, I stepped into the lives of the people around me and I just proclaimed Jesus, hoping that they would hear and respond. To my surprise, two things happened during this time. The first was that people actually responded to my invitation to follow Christ. All of a sudden, instead of partying on the weekends with all of my friends from high school, I found myself baptizing people in backyard pools and starting Bible studies with unbelievers. I was learning, and everything that I was learning, I wanted them to be learning, and so I invited everybody that I knew and loved to grow with me. And God was moving. The other thing that surprised me was that I wanted to learn about God and his word. And even more surprising than that was I wanted to obey his word. You see, prior to this, I had a little experience in the church. But for some reason, I would hear the Bible and I would just kind of close my ears. And my Bible collected a ton of dust in my closet. And I never wanted to really read it or tear into it. But I had this new passion and love. I realized that I had been saved from utter darkness. I was a new creation. I just wanted to know God and his word and follow God's calling on my life. And, and during this time, I enrolled in Bible college. And that's around the time that I met Todd. Well, Todd crushed all of my expectations regarding what a professional pastor should look like and be like, because I remember the first day of class, I'm sitting in class, and Todd walks in, and he has blue jeans and a puka shell necklace. You should bring it back, by the way. It looked good on you. He had frosted tips, 
You should bring those back too. Your church would love it. And he had this big smile and I was like, oh, great. We have a sub on the first day of class. Where, you know, where, where's the stuffy professor with the boring voice and the suit? And that's what I was thinking Bible college was going to be about. And I met Todd and he was this likable guy. And he liked the Bible and he actually believed in getting the message of the Bible out to people. And it was a really formative time in my life. What I didn't know at the time was that this class was going to be in the beginning of an awesome friendship, a formative time in my development as a pastor. Because Todd was the kind of pastor that I wanted to be. He, was, he knew the Bible well, and he was committed to getting God's message out to those who needed it. And there are a lot of things that I love about Todd. But what I love most is his commitment to the gospel. Now, this term gospel might be new to some of you if you're kind of new to church. So I want to give you a definition of what I mean when I say gospel. The gospel is the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus. His perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection in our place for our sin. The gospel is the message that Jesus is the only solution to the brokenness that we face within and also to the brokenness without, the brokenness that we see in the world. Jesus is the solution. It's the message that in Jesus, all things are made new. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Well, today I want you to see the centrality of the gospel in the Christian life and embolden you all to be fearless gospel proclaimers to a world that is desperate for hope in a sermon that I've titled, Beautiful People. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 9. This is what it says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Skip down to verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, right off the bat, this passage provokes a very deep and sophisticated question. Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so the big question this morning is, can feet be beautiful? (laughs) Have you ever seen a pair of feet and said to yourself, man, those things are gorgeous. I'm going to take a picture and save it as my screensaver on my phone. If that's you, we want to minister to you today. Come talk to us after the service. Okay, screensavers are for your kids, pictures of your dogs, pictures of nature, not for feet. Because reality is, Most people are repulsed by feet. When we think about all the features of a human body that could be called beautiful, 
usually the last thing we think about is feet. Actually, a good amount of people on the planet have something called potophobia, which is the fear of feet. Anybody have potophobia in here? I know there's a few of you. Okay, well, you're just not admitting it. (laughs) Okay, we're going to do foot washing at the end of this service, all right, just to... Okay, no. Feet generally are something that we're not attracted to. Well, the first thing I want you to see about our passage today is that it makes a bold claim about what makes a person beautiful. This is really good. I I heard there's a ton of high schoolers in the service this morning. This isn't awesome. Welcome, guys. This is important for you to hear, too. What makes a person beautiful? What makes a person beautiful? Well, people, well, uh, beauty, according to Paul, has nothing to do with the way that you look. You could spend hours and hours every day in front of a mirror shaping the way that you look, but still miss out on what it means to be truly beautiful. You can have the finest clothes, the sweetest cologne, and the perfect teeth, but still miss out on what it means to have true beauty. Your hair can be absolutely on point this morning, but in God's eyes, you still may lack beauty because Paul gives a different definition of beauty. Something in Paul's eyes that seems to be ordinary and unappealing on the outside is bestowed with beauty. Feet in this passage are called beautiful. And the reason he calls these people beautiful is because beautiful people in the eyes of God are rescued sinners who rescue sinners. That's what it means to be beautiful. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is a quote from Isaiah 52, 7, which says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says, your God reigns. For the rest of the sermon, when I say beautiful people, I want you to know that I'm referring to rescued sinners who rescue sinners. This doesn't mean that other people aren't beautiful. In fact, every human being on the planet, whether they believe in God or not, is beautiful and valuable because they were created in the image of God. But the beauty I'm talking about today is a very rare beauty possessed only by those who mourn over lost souls. When Todd shared the story just now of my friend Matt, The world looked at Matt as a prisoner. God showed me how to look at Matt as a person, a lost soul. Beautiful people look at others who are lost and they mourn over their condition. And they say, God, how can I be used for your glory? The beauty that they, that they inherit has nothing to do with how they look and everything to do with how they love. Now, check out this ugly picture of me. <laughs> That's me as a 10-year-old. Me and my friends, we loved bicycles and motorcycles, things like that. And we would build ramps in the street and dirt jumps out in the desert. And one day we built this gnarly, crazy new ramp. And it was super sketchy. And I was always the test rider. I don't know why. I signed up for that, but I just, I always, I wanted to go first. And that's usually what happens when you put yourself out there. But for some reason, I hit this ramp, 
And instead of landing on my wheels, I landed on my face in the street. So I'm 10 years old, hanging out with a bunch of other 10-year-olds, 7-year-olds, 8-year-olds, and I hit my face on the street, and I'm out cold, and I'm laying in blood. And so all the other kids are running around like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? <laughs> Luckily, one of my neighbors from all the way at the top of the street saw me lying there on the ground in my blood. And then he just went back into his garage and cared. No. <laughs> no. He ran down the street. He picked me up on his shoulders. He carried me to my house. He knocked on the door. He brought me in. They helped. I was, I was out of it. I had a concussion. They helped get me situated and healed up. And the next morning, I got to go say thank you to him. He's still a friend of mine. His name's Richard. When I think about Richard, I think of a beautiful person. Somebody who stepped into my life when I needed it most. I was helpless. I was hopeless. There was nothing that I could do for myself, but praise God for beautiful people. People who love us when we can't do anything for ourselves and step into our world with the hope and the healing and the life that we need. I'm confident that there are beautiful people in this church. People who are just consumed with loving others. People who love the lost, love the broken. People who give generously to making Christ known. But I want to warn you of something today. There is a tendency in large churches like this one, large churches like the one that I serve at, there's a tendency to lose sight of what matters most. And what matters most, according to Jesus is seeking and saving the lost. Jesus said of his own mission, I came to seek and save the lost. Going to his disciples, John 20, 21, before he ascended, he said, as the Father has sent me, so now I send you. If we take our eyes off of the ultimate goal of reaching the lost, then we will slowly begin to focus on peripheral things. We can easily turn into complaining Israelites, complaining over the coffee, over the sound of the band, over whether the sermon was funny enough or engaging enough. We could easily begin to focus on things that matter, but things that don't matter the most. They aren't what defines us. Let me illustrate this for you through a story that I heard from Pastor Todd story that he shared with you guys early on in his ministry here. It's about a life-saving station. There will be some pictures on the screen. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat, but the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea and with no thought for themselves went out day and night tirelessly searching for the lost. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with the station and give of their time and money and effort for the support of its work. New boats were bought and new crews trained, and the little station grew. 
Some members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. They replaced the emergency cots with beds, and they put better furniture in the enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because they used it as sort of a club. Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do the work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in the club's decorations, and there was a miniature lifeboat in the room where the club initiations were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick, and they were very different from the other club members. The beautiful new club was in chaos, so the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities since they were unpleasant and a hindrance to normal social life and the life of the club. Some members insisted upon life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the lives of the various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they would have to begin their own life-saving station down the coast. And so they did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. It It evolved into a club and yet another life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself, and if you visit the seacoast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. Who are the beautiful people in this story? The answer is obvious. The beautiful people in this story are those who kept their eyes on the mission of life-saving. The beautiful people are the fearless crew members who braved the dangerous waters in search for the lost. The problem, though, is that comfort stopped the mission. The idol of comfort became more important to some than rescuing drowning humans. Visiting Matt in prison was not fun for me. Uncomfortable. Waiting for hours in line. Sometimes being turned away. Spending all this money on phone calls because they can't pay for anything while they're in. Spending all this money on phone calls to talk to him, writing letters, visiting him, sending him books. None of that was comfortable. But this is the thing. I knew my mission. My mission was to save, be a part of God's saving work in the lives of the people that I love. Matt was not just a prisoner. Matt was a person. He deserved my time. When I look back, I don't have any bad memories. I don't have any regrets. All I can say is, God, thank you for keeping me focused. And I'm not bragging in any way. 
You're going to hear later on, I don't feel like I'm the most qualified person in the world to be sharing Jesus with everybody. That's not how I see myself. I see myself as a rescued sinner who gets to join in rescuing sinners. Do you see yourself that way today? Rescued sinner who rescues sinners. I want to say something that I hope you'll never forget. The church, which the story illustrated really well, the church is not a club. The church is a life-saving station. Another famous way that you may have heard that put is, the church is not a museum of saints. The church is a hospital for sinners. We are rescued sinners who rescued who rescue sinners because we too know what it's like to be drowning in the waters. We're beautiful not because of how we look, but because we're willing to put on our life jackets and hop back in a rinky-dink little lifeboat and cast off back into the dangerous waters that God saved us from. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Well, in my opinion, no one embodies what it means to be a beautiful person better than the Apostle Paul. And so for the rest of this sermon, we're going to look at Paul as a case study of what it means to be a beautiful person. Paul's the author of Romans, so it just seems fitting. Now, I read one author, and he said this about Paul. He said that the Apostle Paul unquestionably ranks as the greatest missionary of the early church. He's the prototype, the model, and the inspiration of thousands of successors. So when you think about modeling evangelism, when you think about modeling being a rescued sinner who rescues sinners, usually the first person we think about is Paul. But there are three things I want you to know about Paul. The first is that Paul wasn't always beautiful. This should inspire you. Paul wasn't always beautiful. If you're a beautiful person today, then you can attest to the fact that you weren't always that way. Can I get an amen for that one? Amen. We all have a past. Some of us have a very colorful past, and we've been working so hard to hide it from our kids. We don't want them to know anything about us because they wouldn't even recognize us. We all have a past. We weren't just beautiful all the time. Paul, likewise, had a past. Paul assesses himself in a few passages. What you might remember about Paul is that before becoming a gospel preacher, he was a Christian persecutor. He condemned Christians. He supported the killing of Christians. He carried Christians off to prison. And when he reflected on his past, here are a few things that he said. 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says, I'm the least of the apostles unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Maybe when you think of your past, you think of yourself, you think in those same terms, God, I don't even belong here. I shouldn't even be sitting in this chair right now. I'm surprised you haven't thrown a lightning bolt at me. I'm the least of the apostles. I'm the least of the disciples. I'm the least of Christians. Paul felt that same way. And let me tell you, Paul was worse than all of us. Because not only did he have a broken past, but he persecuted the work of God. He said, the saying is trustworthy, 1 Timothy 1.15, and deserving of full acceptance, 
that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. I had to be the first person died for because I just had too much to cleanse out of me. Maybe you feel that way. The book of Acts records some of Paul's violent past. He persecuted Christians. He drug off men and women to prison. He celebrated the stoning of Stephen. And all of this kept going on in his life until one day he encountered Jesus and everything changed. Acts 9 says that while traveling on the road to Damascus, Paul had an encounter with the living Christ. He was blinded by the brilliant light of Christ our King. And by the grace of God, this Christian killer became a gospel preacher. Some of you here today may have allowed the fact that you weren't always beautiful to hold you back from being a rescued sinner who rescues sinners. I want you to know that no one's more unworthy than Paul. And from my perspective, no one has been used quite as amazingly as Paul. And so rather than be ashamed of your past, embrace it. Which leads to point number two. Paul's broken past fueled his present ministry. Paul's broken past fueled his present ministry. Your past is still a part of your story So stop trying to erase it out of your history. We're so conditioned to come to Christ and be a new creation and live a new life that for some reason along that path, we become so numb to what we were saved out of. We forget who we were and we forget who we used to do life with. We forget the people who were lost with us. And we start pulling further and further away from the world as we pursue Jesus and we grow as Christians, yes, and we get to know other Christians, yes, but then all of a sudden, like, we can't even relate to an unbeliever. And all of a sudden, the people who were lost with us, we look back 10 years later, what are they doing? The same exact thing. And who has come knocking on their door, stepping in their life to share the gospel? Nobody. Don't be ashamed of your past. Instead, allow your past to fuel your ministry. If suffering is in your past, then you are probably more capable than others of ministering to those who have suffered. If false religion is in your past, then you are probably more capable than others of ministering to those with false beliefs. If if addiction is in your past, then you're probably more capable than others of ministering to the addicted. If pride or greed or self-indulgence or sexual sin or partying or drunkenness or gang life is in your past, don't give up on the people who were like you. Instead, go and bring that hope that you have in Christ to those people who were just like you, who need the same hope that you needed. You were on the ground. Somebody came and picked you up, and they cleaned you up, but they didn't just clean you up so that you could sit in a pew. They cleaned you up so that you could join in the mission. And one of the cool things you'll see is that when you're in the mission, you grow rapidly as a Christian. Some people think that they need to pull away from every bit of filth in the world in order to be holy and like Christ. But what did Christ get accused of? Eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. 
the more we bring Jesus into the darkness, the more we have to rely on him to be our only hope and strength. Because we're weak on our own, but Christ is enough. Amen? And so when I became a Christian, yes, I left my old ways behind. Completely, okay? I gave up on the things that I knew Jesus was against. I repented. Repentance is important. I turned from my sin, but I didn't turn from my friends. One of the reasons I'm still in Lancaster today, besides the fact that it's so beautiful and green and... Because my friends are there. And my family's there. And the street that I live on is full of neighbors whom I love. And the Starbucks I go to in the morning has a bunch of baristas who I love. It's hard for me to leave because I love the people. And I could never imagine leaving without having made the strongest effort possible to bring the gospel to the people I love most. Embrace your broken past. God can use it to his glory. He won't waste your pain. He won't waste the ups and downs that you've faced in life. He'll use it so that you can even minister in greater ways. Finally, point number three. Paul placed all his hope in the message of the gospel. Paul didn't just trust in programs or fancy events and strategies to save people. He put all his hope in the gospel. And he's a prototype for what it means to be a beautiful person because the gospel motivated his entire life. He was so blown away that God would rescue someone like him out of the frigid waters that he couldn't help but jump back in to show others the way to be rescued. In the book of Romans, I read the book in its entirety before writing the sermon. If you read the book of Romans, you'll see how obsessed Paul is with the gospel. The Greek word for gospel, euangelion, the noun, is used nine times. And the verb euangelizo, which means to preach the gospel, is used three times. So 12 times in the book of Romans, Paul talks about the gospel. And these aren't just nonchalant references. Look at, to, look at what he says about the gospel. The euangelion, Romans 1.1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The euangelion. He's like, I've been set apart for this mission. Romans 1.9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the what? The gospel. And if you want to get extra credit, the what? Euangelion. Thank you, Todd. But there's more. He also uses the verb euangelizo. Makes me think of Francisco in the elf, if you guys like the elf, which is a fun word to say. Euangelizo. Romans 1.15. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This is interesting because did Rome know the gospel already? Yes. And did Paul plant the church in Rome? No. So Rome is an established church, already thriving and healthy. They know the gospel, planted by some unknown pastor. But Paul, he wants to travel the furthest he's ever gone in his life 
to Rome, to the church in Rome, in order to do what? Share the gospel with a bunch of people who already know what? The gospel. There's a million things Paul could have talked about. Nero was persecuting Christians. Times were not good in Roman society. But what does Paul want to share, even though they already know it? The gospel. Romans 10, 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who Yuan Galitzo preached the good news in Romans 15, 20. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. It says, Rome, I'm going to come to you, share the gospel with you who already know it. Because the gospel is how we grow as Christians. It's central to everything that we do. We grow through the gospel by God's grace. We grow. And it's also how people come from death to life. So I'm going to share with you who know it, and then I'm going to go to places where no one knows about Christ. Paul was a rescued sinner committed to rescuing sinners. He preached the gospel to the lost and found alike. And what I want you to know is that you don't need to be clever to be a beautiful person. You just need to proclaim the gospel. Never lose sight of the centrality of the gospel. The obvious question then is how then shall we live? My hope in preaching this sermon is that we would make it our highest aim to be beautiful people. But this can only happen if our affections for Christ are greater than our affection for anything else. I can't make you risk your comfort or your money or your reputation in order to save others. That has to be your own choice. And only when you see the gravity of what you've been saved from will you be inspired to make the hope of salvation known to the people around you. But maybe you're in here today and you do realize what you've been saved from. You are eternity, eternally grateful. You know that you were lost and now you've been found. You love Jesus. You love people. But you just feel like you don't know enough to share with others. You feel like you're not equipped enough to share with others. Or maybe you just realize that people can be hard to deal with. People are not easy to interact with at times. And so you have these insecurities holding you back from sharing the gospel. Maybe you do love, you do love Christ, but you have these insecurities. Well, I want you to know that evangelism is not about how much you know, but about how much you love. When I was a brand new Christian, I knew this much. I'm done in seminary in May, and seminary reminds me that I still just know this much. But you know what I know really well? The gospel. And you know what I could do? Love. You might not have it all figured out. You might have some holes in your theology. But if you know Christ, you have the gospel. If you know Christ, you have a testimony of Christ's work in you. Peter says that gospel proclamation is simply proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Do you believe that Jesus is excellent? Then tell people. What is he doing in your life now? What did he do in your life last year? How is Jesus excellent in your life? Just talk about that and watch what happens. Ed Stetzer says this, an awesome quote. 
He says, Satan has a simple mission to keep lost people lost. Among numerous strategies, one of his favorites is to keep Christians convinced that ministry must be left to professionals. But to reach the nearly 7 billion people on the planet with the gospel, Christ intends to use all believers in the work. Satan attempts to convince believers that only exceptional people used in exceptional ways will accomplish God's mission. He would love for us to think that only the elite of leadership can be used in God's mission to save souls, but God's mission is for all Christians. Extraordinary people for God are simply ordinary people who are willing to be used. And so the question is, are you willing to be used? If you're here today and you feel like, I don't know enough, well, guess what? Paul makes it very clear that the message is simple. He says, 10, 9, and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You don't need a theology degree to be able to recite that. That's our message. It's that simple. The message that we have is Jesus is the answer. Believe in him. And there are all kinds of ways we could share that message. But how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The lost in this world will only know about Jesus if beautiful people like you and me grab a lifeboat, get in the water, and tell them. Trinity Church, if you're a believer this morning, you belong to Christ. He doesn't hold your past against you. But he may want you to use some of your past to minister to people who were just like you. Trinity Church, if you're a believer this morning, you may feel at times like you don't know what to say to unbelievers. You don't know what to say to the lost. You don't want to be offensive. But guess what? If Jesus saved you, he has also sent you. And if you belong to Jesus, he has also given you a helper so that you do not do this Christian life thing alone. You have the Holy Spirit. Do you think that the Holy Spirit can give you the words to say? Absolutely. If you don't have a heart for people this morning, do you think the Holy Spirit can give you a heart for people in your life? Absolutely. If God has chosen you, redeemed you, he has sent you, he is for you, he is with you, you have everything that you need. He has invited you to join him in this great privilege of stepping in to the lives of people without hope and bringing them to, to new life in Christ. And he wants to use you. He wants to use you. You may feel inadequate at times. He doesn't care. He wants to use you. You may come up short at times. He doesn't care. He wants to use you. Are you willing to be used, Trinity Church? Beautiful people are rescued sinners who rescue sinners. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for rescuing us. I pray that we would join you in rescuing others. God, take away our insecurities. 
take away our lack of love. You so loved the world that you gave your son. I pray that we would step into the world, the lives of the people we love and bring the son there. I pray that our kids would come to Christ, that our neighbors would come to Christ, that our coworkers would come to Christ, that our classmates would come to Christ. I pray that you would use us to do a mighty work in the name of Jesus. Amen. Before I leave, I want to acknowledge something. Most of my sermon has been directed at people who have already been rescued. People who were lost, now they're found. Now they have a mission, but maybe you're here today and you're like, I am still in the waters. You're talking about saving people. I never even got out of the waters. I'm still drowning today. My life is overwhelming. I'm facing consequences for decisions. I'm just lost. I feel like the waves are crashing. Stop telling me to go back in the water. I never even got out in the first place. If you're here today and you feel like I need the hope of the gospel, I need a new life, I need forgiveness, I want to invite you to believe in Jesus. I want to invite you to come out of the waters. He is reaching down to rescue you. And so if you want to pray with somebody, I will be here right here after the service. I'd love to pray with you. Todd will be here. Others will be here. Do not leave this place drowning. Believe with the hope of life. Thank you.